Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, where each week we discuss new ideas and tactics to help you succeed in business, relationships, and life. And now your host, Tim Stoddard. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddard. Welcome to the Tim Stodds podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest this week is Anthony Pompliano. Anthony is an entrepreneur, a writer, a podcaster, and an investor. Anthony classifies himself as a technology investor. He and his partners allocate capital across digital asset classes on behalf of their institutional clients, including public pensions, university endowments, private foundations, and large family offices. But Anthony is much more than an investor. He writes a subscription-based newsletter called The Pomp Letter, where he writes and publishes daily analysis on the financial markets and tailors to a specific focus on Bitcoin. Pomp also has a personal podcast where he interviews the world's most influential thought leaders on finance, investments, and entrepreneurship. As if that weren't enough, Pomp recently launched a new podcast called Capital University, and the podcast immediately went to number one business podcast in the world. Alongside Bryce Hall, Anthony speaks with other guests about financial literacy in hopes to teach the next generation about investing, wealth creation, and money management. I've been a fan of Anthony's work from the very beginning, and it was a privilege to have this conversation with him. I predict that Pomp will continue to be a rising star in our culture for years to come. Now, please help me welcome Anthony Pompliano. Pomp, thank you so much for being on my show. I'm a, I'm a fan of your work. I've been reading your newsletter for years, actually. It started, I, I wrote a blog post on my website about how to start a paid newsletter. Um, I had Hamish McKenzie on my show probably like a year ago. And in that article, it still ranks number one for start a paid newsletter, but I used your newsletters as an example. I appreciate that. The last year and a half, you've continued to grow leaps and bounds. And so congratulations to all your success. Uh, you have released a new podcast, Capital University. It shot up to be the number one podcast in the world. Where did the idea for this podcast even come into play? I think it's a great concept, teaching financial literacy to the younger audience. Uh, and two, from more of like a media marketing standpoint, like how did you work these angles about getting some of these influencers involved to have this huge, huge jump in promotion? Yeah, so um, I've always had this idea that uh, getting people outside of the finance world, like more kind of in the culture, if you will, uh, involved in financial literacy and education would, uh, would drastically accelerate our ability to um, just get people interested, right? Just teach them how does money work? What should you understand? Um, and, and to me, education is like the great equalizer, right? It's if you give people the information, uh, at least now they're playing on the same uh, kind of informational playing field and therefore they can kind of start making sound decisions and, and put themselves in a position to be successful. Uh, but it's really hard. Like nobody wants the finance crowd to come and give them financial education, right? Nobody wants their teacher to give that information either, really. And so um, it's always like, how do you get athletes or musicians or, or uh, influencers, et cetera? And so uh, I reached out to a friend, uh, Michael Gruen, and I said to him, hey, uh, this is maybe, I don't know, six months ago, maybe even a year ago. And I said, hey, man, um, you, you manage a bunch of these TikTok stars. Like, what if we tried to do something there? 
And at the time it was kind of like, eh, you know, I, I don't think that he necessarily was sold on it, but he was like, let me think about it. And, you know, I'll come back to you if, if anything makes sense. And so, you know, kind of, we went nowhere with it. Um, and then recently he uh, introduced me to a bunch of these guys and was like, Hey, look, they're starting to get interested in investing. Like, why don't you just jump on a call with them and, and kind of talk it through it? And so got on a call uh, and I was actually very positively surprised. Uh, one, I think just by uh, how hard these guys are working. Um, you know, also I think just in, in their ambitions, right? That they really do see this as an opportunity. Uh, and they were saying things like, look, you know, 70% of athletes go broke right after they're done playing. Mm-hmm. Like we're kind of the modern day athlete where you're young, you walk into kind of a situation where you can go from nothing to a bunch of money. Uh, and we don't want to end up like that. Right. And so like we, help us understand how to invest and what we should be thinking about, whatever. And so it became very clear, very quickly. Like if we're going to have these conversations, you know, on a periodic basis, like why don't we just record them? So everybody who looks up to you can also get that information. Um, and, and I think part of it was like Bryce Hall specifically um, should get a lot of credit for this, where he has um, already made a bunch of moves, right? So before I ever even met him, he had already uh, put together a merchandise uh, line. He had already set up a energy drink company with one of his friends, Josh Richards. Um, and so like they were kind of making all of the directionally right moves, but it was a thing where it's like, hey, if you kind of go and do this without the knowledge and the mentorship, like you're probably just gonna make the same mistake everyone makes, right? But could we actually like accelerate your learning and, and increase the probability of success for you by getting you in front of the people who are the best in the world at, at doing some of this stuff? And so really the idea for the podcast was like, could I basically help Bryce kind of navigate some of this, but not that I know all the answers, right? Actually, in a lot of cases, I don't know the answers. And so could I bring in people that I knew, uh, whether it was investors or entrepreneurs to basically help mentor live, you know, one of uh, the people that has the largest audience for kind of this new generation. Um, and so, you know, we released the first podcast episode, we can get into kind of what that release strategy was like and everything. Uh, but it exploded. And I think one of the pieces of information um, or data points that we've gotten already that um, I, I was telling my wife Polina about that I'm just proud of, right, is we already see kids saying things like, I can't wait to learn about business. I never thought I would care about this, but like now that Bryce is doing it, like I'm so excited to learn. And it's just, I don't know if we'll be successful in actually teaching them, but just the fact that like we can create the excitement around them, we can expose kids to these ideas, I think is really important. Um, so that's really cool to see. Uh, and then also th- there's a huge component of this of like where I'm basically uh, doing my best to bring other people in, right? So between myself, Michael, uh, and a few other people who are helping, we're really trying to get the best of the best. And so the second episode that we're releasing is with Mark Cuban, right? Mark doesn't need to come and do this, right? But he wants to, one, help Bryce, but also two, he understands kind of the impact it can have. And we've got a whole list of guests that are kind of lined up um, that will come on at kind of after Mark. But, but I think that's the general idea behind it. Um, and so far, so good. But as with many things, you know, we're, we're less than a week into it. So uh, you don't want to get too excited. Um, you know, it's really kind of not who's the, the fastest in the beginning. It's just kind of who's left standing, right? It, there's a perception that entrepreneurship is everywhere, right? But the numbers actually don't say that. The numbers say that there's less companies being started now than there were before. There's fewer and fewer people putting their money back into whether hard assets or soft assets or things that can just provide money for them in the future so that they're not spending their whole lives working. I'm, I'm saying that as a little bit of a catalyst to say that this message is something that is really, really, really important. Making money is difficult enough, but learning, that's like such an important mental block that I worry young people don't have 
and there's no one there teaching them. We still don't learn it in school, even though, you know, the whole idea of like a 30 year mortgage and just the whole idea of like staying in one job your whole life, like that's gone, you know? And so like, we need to really catch up with the times and just teach the next generation. If you don't start treating your money as a tool and figuring out places to put it, places to invest in your future self, we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, look, I, I think ultimately what you end up getting is you have a system where uh, I joke all, or I don't joke, but I, but I say all the time that um, kind of the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really like a wealth conversation. But ultimately when you peel that back, the joke is it's not so much about your wealth status as much as it's about your education status. And what I mean by that is, yes, there's always outliers, right? If you're born into a family that's got a bunch of money, like you got to be an idiot to not be rich by the time you die, right? Like all that kind of stuff for sure that exists. But for the average person who's not born into money, who's, who's not kind of uh, put into one of these situations, what ends up occurring is it really is a divide between those who are educated on how money works and, and kind of finances and those who are not. And so the perfect example is, um, you know, look at what's happening right now. So anytime you get um, kind of manipulation or intervention by a central bank in any economy around the world, not just the United States, what you see is the system does exactly what it's designed to do, right? The system actually operates really well for what it's supposed to do. And that is um, it will punish savers and it will in, uh, reward investors, right? The whole idea of inflation is to get you out of the currency, either consume or invest rather than hold the currency. And so um, just that simple idea, which is like literally economics 101 or you know, personal finance 101 of like invest, don't save type stuff, that is life-changing for people, right? And so it's one thing for like me to go and tweet, you know, invest, don't save. Sure, the finance crowd, you know, they love that. It's like, oh, this simple thing, whatever. A 22-year-old kid could care less about mm. that, right? That 22-year-old kid wants to know, wait a second, you're telling me that I, rather than have my money sit in my bank account and it just stays equal, right? I could invest in things and it could grow and I could get rich, right? Like you got to remember that at, you know, 15, 17, 20, 22, even at 30, people think very, very differently than when you're 45, 50 years old. And so I think that's a, a huge component of this. And, and then you get into like the more nuanced stuff, right? Like there's this idea, um, I think that people have around like investing, right? And what I, I, I always talk with my friends about is like the stock market's just a legal casino. Mm. That's all that's going on, right? And traders, that's just a nice fancy word for gamblers, right? <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. What you as a investor need to understand is you don't want to be that gambler, right? You don't want to be that better. Instead, there's basically a bet, right? Or, or kind of an opportunity that always works, right? And so imagine if you were a gambler and you knew every time the team that was going to win then you would of course go bet on that team every time, right? And you would just figure out how do I put more money on that team? Um, and, and so that's the same thing that happens with asset prices over long periods of time is we devalue the currencies and asset prices go up. We know that that will happen regardless, right? Because the dollar's being devalued uh, in purchasing power terms. And so it's little things like that, again, where you can kind of put it in terms for uh, younger people that it starts to resonate. And again, they're going to make all the mistakes. They're going to do all these different things, but it's simply making it cool to care about this stuff. And, and, you know, I, I'm always careful to say that like, this is not a new idea. This is not my idea. Like there are way, way many, uh, many more people than me that have got, come before me that have worked on this stuff. And so if you look at like just Robert Kiyosaki, for example, with rich dad, poor dad, he built this massive business. It's the best selling personal finance book in the world. 
but he told a story and he made it entertaining, right? Yeah. And, and like, that's why it worked. He created a board game, like all that kind of stuff. Then you look at even people that, that are kind of less finance and, and more kind of from music or culture. Take Jay-Z, for example, right? If you go back and you listen to some of the lyrics in like the 444 album that he put out, what you hear is him saying things like, I had an opportunity to buy that building in Dumbo right? It, at a certain price. And then it appreciated like four or five X. I didn't do it. Like now who's the Dumbo, right? And, and so you kind of just realize like, wait a second, this guy is literally explaining financial education. He may not even think he's doing that, but he's talking about money in a way that um, kind of sensationalizes or, or um, celebrates, hey, you can be an investor and you can grow wealth. And I think that that's what we need to kind of really make a dent in this problem. And so, you know, kudos to Bryce and Josh Richards, Griffin Johnson, all these guys on TikTok. They're interested in doing it. I'm happy to, to really just facilitate it uh, because they're, they're the ones who are doing the work and they're the ones who, who are kind of have the ear of an entire generation. So it's pretty cool to see. That's amazing. And I'm not really a social media person. I like Twitter and I'm just comfortable on Twitter. And in my view, it's still just like the best memes, the funnest place to be, the best friends, you know? So I can't really speak to TikTok. I breezed through the show. Uh, you mentioned Bryce Hall. So just for listeners, before we move on to the next subject, like give me a little bit of the people involved, where they come from, where their audience is from, and like the direction that you guys are going in terms of like a media entity. Yeah. So um, in terms of Capital University, the co-hosts are myself and Bryce Hall. Bryce is a 21-year-old. Uh, I call him a social media star. Other people would call him a TikTok influencer. Uh, he always likes to say that he is not a TikTok influencer or social media influencer. Uh, he's more of an entertainer. Um, so kind of use whatever vernacular you want there. But uh, Bryce has got an audience of about 30 million followers across social media platforms. Uh, some of this is, you know, kind of a big following called, you know, 15, 20 million, whatever it is on TikTok. But also he's got 3 million YouTube subscribers. He's got, you know, over a million people on uh, Twitter. He's got a very large Instagram audience. So he's kind of done a good job of, of kind of spreading out across the platforms and, and de-risking uh, some of the platform risk. Um, but also then he's built these businesses and some of the businesses um, he's done kind of more so. Solo, uh, and others, he's worked with other uh, people kind of in his circle, right? So Josh Richards is another one. I think he's got almost 40 million followers. Uh, Griffin Johnson is another one. And so you start to just like think of through this and you're like, look, these audiences are not only one massive, but two, they're heavily, heavily engaged, right? They, yeah. The other day, Bryce posted an Instagram photo uh, and I just happened to be on Instagram and it was 58 minutes after the post. He had 220,000 likes on it. And I'm like, you know, like, like, I don't have a friend that can do that, right? Yeah. So like, he's got a bigger audience than any friend I have. And, and so the way that I think about this is, um, although Bryce and I are the co-host, there's the opportunity to bring on kind of the, um, the really uh, kind of smart, successful, you know, uh, entrepreneurs and investors like the Mark Cubans of the world. But also we've got an episode that we've recorded where uh, he was able to bring on Josh Richards, who's another uh, kind of guy in his, um, in his group. And they're the ones who are building an energy drink company together called Annie. And so what ends up happening is now, now we've got two of the most successful kind of most sought after uh, stars for this generation on the same podcast together. It's because they're friends, right? And then we can kind of go and get other influencers, other people who want to be uh, a part of this. And so when you kind of see the way that this works, what you realize is they serve as a magnet, not only for the audience, but also for guests as well. And again, to me, like I, I, I uh, almost feel like the referee a little bit uh, of just like, hey, Let's get Bryce on with really, really smart people and have him go into the episode with a certain uh, kind of topic or, or uh, angle. 
and then just learn, right? And I tell them before every episode, I say, listen, man, if you're just authentic and you genuinely learn here, everyone else is going to learn, right? Don't, don't kind of put on a show. Don't just, just learn. And the key is having the right guests and all this kind of stuff. And so I think that what we're starting to see is uh, not only one, the, the um, kind of excitement around the show, but also all of a sudden, what do we see? A bunch of other people that are kind of around him uh, or look up to him, they start talking about money, finance, wealth, right? You know, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and the last thing I'll leave you with is uh, I joke all the time with, um, with, with some of the other guys. Uh, they use, I use this term one time called a generational wealth, right? And uh, I think they were kind of like, what is that or whatever? And then I saw a couple of them use it. And so I messaged them and I was like, hey, keep using that term, generational yeah. wealth. Because one, that's the ultimate goal, right? But also two is the business world will respect you when you have that type of ambition, right? And, and, and they'll understand, oh, okay, these guys aren't just trying to make, you know, a hundred grand so they can go out and party, right? They're looking at this completely different. And I think what I'm hoping to help these guys do, but ultimately it's up to them and, and kind of their aspirations and their hard work and, and persistence here is can we take, you know, people who have large social media audiences and are looked at as kind of influencers today, and can we transition them to now you say not Bryce Hall, the social media star, but Bryce Hall, the entrepreneur or Bryce Hall, the businessman, right? And that's not going to happen overnight. That's, you know, many, many years in the making. But I think generally starting that now and being able to document that process, hopefully will be really, 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 really valuable to other people. I think it's very smart. It's very exciting. And, uh, and again, just to kind of reiterate, it's really important. There's just a difference between being 35, being 45, and being 21. Just how you were talking about the idea of using that term, generational wealth. Like It excites me to know that because of this podcast over the next year, two years, however long you guys run with it, like there's going to be conversations online on Twitter with young people that are actually just talking about things that it took me way too long to learn. Even just the idea of like compounding or just the idea of inflation. Like you hear about it in history class, but you never actually understand what that means from a practical level. Like, no, the money that's just sitting in your bank account is getting less and less valuable every day. And so teaching people that there's things that you can do to invest in your future self like that. Um, I'm excited that you have such a role in that. And I just think it's going to, and also I think it's really, really going to catch on. I think there's like a huge market for that conversation. And I just think you guys are going to kill it. So congratulations on all that. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate you letting me talk about it as well. Great. Okay. I want to transition a little bit to your newsletter. The majority of people that listen to me are writers. Uh, I still, even with social media and with video and all the different ways to create content, I, I still personally feel that being a strong writer is like the best foundation for, for building an online business. Um, I've always felt that way. I think that'll probably always be the case for many, many reasons. Uh, so your newsletter, it's a, a daily finance newsletter. It's subscription-based. Why don't you tell us how you got the idea for it? And more importantly, what I want to know for my own personal sake is building a subscription based on a newsletter is like a very daunting challenge. You know, it's really easy to say like, Oh, I'm just going to write every day and build a following. But then five months into it, you're like, Oh shit, no one's really watching me. <laughs> you know, like how do you keep going year after year? Uh, just tell me about your journey with that. 
Yeah, I can take zero credit for, uh, for, for the idea to do this. So um, my wife uh, used to work at Fortune Magazine. She wrote a daily uh, email um, that basically covered tech and venture capital. Uh, mm. It was very, very widely read across uh, kind of the entire industry. Uh, it was kind of seen as one of the, the core sources of information. Um, and I saw her write it every day. Uh, and I, in the past, have spent kind of in, in spurts, written for long periods of time, then stopped, then written, you know, for long periods of time and then stopped. Um, and we were on a flight uh, back from a, a trip we took and we were just sitting there talking and, and uh, she basically was like harassing me into like, you, you, sh- you should do this. Like, like there's an entire new industry. No one's doing this yet. Like you should do this. Um, and I was like, I don't know. And she's like, just get started. Like she knows me well enough where she's like, if I wait and I think about it, I won't do it. But if I just start, then uh, I'm pretty persistent with things. Um, and so I think either on the flight or like shortly after uh, we got back, I set up Substack. Um, I, I think I was like one of the very early users there. And uh, what I liked about it was that you could have this like paid component and also a free component, right? Um, and I had no clue if that would work or not, but it was just like, let's just see what happens. Now, one of the benefits I had was I had this massive Twitter audience already, right? And so I was able to kind of leverage can I take some of the Twitter audience and move them to an email? Right. And, and um, part of this also in the back of my head was like, there's platform risk with only having Twitter. So like how, what, what's the platform you can bring people to and you own the relationship with them um, or at least as much as you can. And so that, that definitely played into it as well. Uh, and then I just started. And, and what's so funny about it is like, if you go back and you look like, it's generally the same idea, but like I've added things over time. They've gotten a little longer, you know, all, the process has changed and kind of how I write them and all that kind of stuff. It really was just like, once I got started, I think I had maybe, I don't know, uh, maybe a hundred people sign up as a, like a paying member to start. And like, there's some people who hear that and they're like, oh my God, that's like amazing. Right. I wish that I could get to a hundred people right out of the gate. For me, it was like, I don't remember how many followers I had, but maybe I had like 150,000 followers and I was kind of like, Ooh, only a hundred people. Like that's like a really low conversion rate. Right. And so it was like very kind of, is this going to work or is it not? And I just said to myself, I'm going to try it for six months. Right. Cause I think I started in May of 2018. So it was like basically through the end of the year, seven months, whatever it was. Um, and, uh, as I started to go, it became very obvious that I was learning because it was forcing me to write something every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, two was the conversations that I was having with people who were subscribed, uh, was, unlike the conversation on Twitter. So it was much more in-depth. It was much more kind of uh, intellectual, et cetera. Uh, And then the third thing was from a monetary standpoint, um, there was just enough where it was like, hmm, so if I got 100 people, like if I get 500 people, let me do that math. If I get 1,000 people, like let me do that math, right? And like, again, 1,000 at the time felt like, you know, a mountain to climb, right? Cause you're just like, you know, I got a 10 X, like how, how the hell am I going to do that? Like I just shot all my bullets, right? I tweeted it. Um, but at the same time it was like, okay, like I see a path here. Like I understand how this business works in terms of you just get people to pay you right for, uh, for the content. Um, and, and so I think that as it kind of came together, like, like you mentioned, I changed the name, like some of the content expanded to not just be about Bitcoin to be about, you know, other things. Um, and, and so I think my greatest lesson learned, right. For, like if somebody's listening and they're thinking about this is like one, just get started Two, don't compare like your day one to somebody else's like year three, four, five, whatever. Right. It's like my day one and your day one probably look very similar actually. Um, and then the third thing is like, just let the audience kind of take you where they want to go. 
right? And it was like, as they said, hey, we really like these type topics. Like, can you write more about that? Like, that's what I did, right? Or if they said, hey, you know, we didn't like that or it was too long or it was too short or, you know, hey, can you add audio? Like, there's all these things that I got feedback for. Uh, and I just use it as a learning exercise, right? And, and, you know, now we are where we are. It's, I think, top 10, top 15, uh, highest grossing, uh, you know, newsletters on Substack. Um, but you know, a lot of it is just the, the discipline to do it every day. Like I've been doing it every day now for two and a half years and you know, I'm sure one day I'll wake up and just stop. <laughs> but, uh, other than that, it's just kind of doing it every day and, and, uh, letting it just compound on itself. I think there's a really funny story here. Uh, again, before we started recording, I, I let you know that I had Polino on my podcast and she was telling me a story about how, she went and got coffee with Hamish and he was like, what are you doing? Like, you want to do this? Why don't you fucking quit your job and do it? And to hear that she was the one nagging at you uh, to start your podcast. That's just that like twist of irony that is always in there. You know? Well, well, well here's the best part of that. Uh, I don't know if she said this part, uh, but I had been uh, encouraging her. I think it's probably the right word. Yeah. Uh, it's like, Hey, look, if you're, if you want to do it, like, do it. And if it doesn't work, like you can always go back to your job or like find another, you know what I mean? Like, like it was kind of like, I, I looked at it much uh, more as like, take the risk. And if it doesn't work, like the worst case scenario is not that bad. Right. Uh, I think she was very, um, you know, just kind of nervous, right? It's like, Hey, if you're going to quit your yeah. job, you've been there five years, like, like all the things that people know that go into making a career change. Right. And, uh, and so I, I called in the cavalry, right? Like <laughs> Hamish was in town and I was like, Hey man, you want to grab coffee? Uh, and I actually don't know if I told him I was bringing Polina or not, but, uh, when he was there, you know, we were talking about stuff, whatever. And then I brought it up and I was <laughs> like, Hey, Polina, I think should uh, leave. He's like, of course she should. And then she was like, Oh my God, like I just got, uh, ambushed here by you two. And, uh, his perspective was very interesting, right? And I think that this is uh, true again. Like if you're listening to this and you're thinking about doing it, he was like, look, you basically started this while you were at your job, right? So, so you already had, I think, I think it was two years, maybe three years. She'd been doing it kind of on the nights and weekends. Uh, she'd built up a pretty good uh, free list, um, but she had not yet tried to monetize it. And he kind of had two pieces of advice that I found really, really valuable. One, he was like, look, uh, you have people around you, whether it was Hamish and the Substack team, it was me, it was some friends of hers, her family, like all that kind of stuff. They're encouraging you to do this. Like most people are in a situation where actually everyone around them is like discouraging them, right? They're like, oh, don't do that. Like that's so risky, right? Instead, he's like, you have all the tailwinds. You're like, everyone is in support of you doing this. Like you're so lucky, right? So I think that was kind of one key thing. The second thing that was really interesting was this idea that um, she could turn the paid like monetization on and still stay at her job. Now, maybe they were going to get mad. Maybe they weren't, but like, just try it. And if a bunch of people sign up, then you'll know like, oh, it's got kind of like the product market fit, right? And you just go full time on it. If it doesn't, then you know that it didn't work and like no harm, no foul. And so in January of this year, she turned it on. And like, again, it was enough traction out of the gate to realize like, hey, here's the path of like how this could be successful. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't like, oh my God, I could quit today and retire, right? Or like, oh my God, like this is more money than I've ever seen in my life. Like it, it just wasn't like that. It was still just enough to make it interesting. And like now there's work to be done, but like, am I willing to go do that work? And so it was um, the, the most fascinating part about it was she put in her two week notice in March of this year, COVID was happening. Oh, yeah. And so it was basically, I don't remember the exact dates, but what I do remember is her last Friday was the Friday when um, all like the shelter in place orders went in place. 
So like take somebody who like is literally one of the nicest people in the world. She's already nervous about like leaving her job. And then you throw in like a global pandemic and a potential economic shock on top of it. And she looked at me one day, she's like, I, I can't leave my job. <laughs> like, like this is, this is not good. And so we had a conversation about like, actually now is probably the best time to leave your job, sure. right? Like, like we know that these companies get built. And so I think that, um, you know, one of the lessons learned that I've had from her and I think she's had from me also is like find people who are like-minded who you can turn to, right? Us being married obviously is a huge advantage because uh, we're right there, right? We have a very high degree of trust with each other, like all that kind of stuff. Um, but if you can surround yourself with other people who are ambitious, who kind of are doing the same thing, you almost have this like emotional support system. So when you have your moment of like, oh my God, I can't quit my job, you can turn to somebody and they're there and they understand the situation you're in. They understand kind of um, you know, the pros and cons and, and they can have an actual conversation with you. I think people get in a kind of a, a bad situation when sometimes they turn to people who aren't the best to get advice from, right? And so it's always like, look, the advice you get is important, but usually the who you're getting the advice from is more important, right? And I think that that's just like over time, I think her and I have like really, really honed in on um, just having those people around you can significantly impact the trajectory of growth when you launch these types of things. I mean, look, the truth of the matter is any entrepreneurial journey, you could always fail. And I've been through this experience a million times in my life. And I do think that over time you get more and more comfortable with the idea because the truth is like, even the successes aren't really successes. They're just like micro failures, right? It's just like every day you screw up a little bit and you get a little bit better. It's actually really good context because in our conversation, we were just talking about this idea of everybody now is just turning into like a one person media entity. And as the, the economy and as the job market continues to, how do I say, like long tail, you know, like as more and more people get interested in the things that they're interested in, and there's more like content and there's more personalities that spread out about like a million different topics, everybody is going to have an opportunity to be their own little media entity. And that was probably true like 10 years ago, but now even with Substack and even like what ConvertKit's doing and even WordPress is so much easier to use, right? Like there's never been an opera, a better time to just go in on one particular thing that you have a passion with, because if you're excited about it, there's other people that are also excited about it. And it doesn't have to be a million people like, you know, like you can have 5,000 people on your list and you're making 60 grand a year. Like that's a great living for just writing some shit that you think is cool anyway, you know? So like, I totally encourage that message. Yeah, I think the other piece of this too is like we've seen the examples of people in the past, right? So when you look at the Joe Rogans, Tim Ferriss's, you know, kind of all mm. the way down the line, the friction for them to get started was very high. To your mm. point, now there's tools available where this is very simple. I mean, you go set up a Substack, right? You, you use Zoom for podcasts. Like, like it's very, very simple to get uh, started here. What I do think is interesting to, to kind of contemplate is before somebody gets started or as you're getting started, it's what are you optimizing for as well, right? So if somebody says to me, hey, um, I would love to just write the email every day, right? Or the newsletter, or the blog, or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and that's all I want to do. Like, I have no ambition to do anything other than that. I want to basically be able to provide my family. And uh, outside of that, like everything else is a fool's game. I just want to be happy. That is a fantastic life to live, right? Mm -hmm. And by the way, probably makes you one of the smartest people in the world if that's your mm -hmm. perspective, you know, on life. Um, but that 
will require a certain amount of work and a certain type of work that is very different than somebody who says, hey, I want to build a very large audience. I want to monetize it along the way. And then I basically want to build companies and products to sell through to that audience that I have a relationship with right? That's a much more kind of grandiose type ambition. That's going to require a team. That's going to require all these different things. And so you're going to do a different type of work uh, and a different process to that work to kind of optimize for that second example. And so you don't have to have all the answers, right? But I do think that kind of people just asking themselves, okay, I'm going to go do this. What, what do I want it to be today? And that can change in the future, but like, what, what is that goal or what am I optimizing for? Uh, and what it does is it just gives you something to shoot for. Right. And, and it kind of helps you make decisions um, kind of from there. And, and, and I don't see enough people doing that. Um, I actually made a lot of the same mistakes. Like I used to not ask myself those questions. Now that I do, it's proven to be very, very helpful. So I think other people can benefit from it. I think you're totally right. I, I think summarizing that when it comes to building an audience and monetizing an audience, it's easy to start specific and then be a generalist. And the mistake people make is they start off being a generalist, which is writing about like anything that they're interested about. The way I always try to explain it is the more generic you are, then the easier you are to replace. And the only thing that you can do to stand out from the next person is be cheaper. In terms of like the, the size of the audience, you're still better off picking something building your reputation, and then becoming a generalist in time. So I think that's great advice. Absolutely. I, I think that uh, you, you nailed it. Let's finish off with something that I am always conflicted about. So Substack is a subscription uh, newsletter. You provide free content and then you offer other content for people that want to pay for the subscription. I think that model is really cool because for people that don't want to create products that just want their content itself to be the product. It provides a really, really good infrastructure for them. Uh, it does make me nervous though, because I feel like there's a limit, you know, it doesn't quite scale the same way that just having one single product that you can sell like an infinite, an infinite amount of times are. I'm just looking for your insight on this new wave of subscription-based newsletters and, and what you think is exciting about them and what you think is potentially, uh, potentially a detriment about them. Yeah, I mean, you nailed kind of a, a big piece of the equation, right? It's just, if you want to kind of create once, sell a million times, writing a newsletter is not going to be the thing for you, right? You have to write it on some periodic basis. Now you don't have to do it daily. You could do it weekly, monthly, you know, whatever you can get your audience to agree to in terms of that kind of subscription, um, you know, promise, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, with that said, what I, I laugh a lot about is like, everyone wants to compare subscription to ads, right? Or uh, subscription monetization through like, I should sell a product. But why can't you just do it all? Right. And, and I almost look at it more again, it goes back to like, what do you want to do? If you just want to write a newsletter every day and figure out how to make a living off of it, like that's a perfectly fine uh, and admirable thing to go do. Substack's great for that. Right. But if you want to have diversified revenue streams and kind of all these different things and build like a, a much more scalable business, maybe you have aspirations to sell it one day, like, don't just pick, okay, I'm going to only do subscription or I'm only going to do this one thing, right? You actually want to have kind of that diversification in those revenue streams. And so have a subscription newsletter. Maybe what you do is you say, hey, I'm going to send it a certain number of days behind the paywall. 
certain number of days I'm going to send it outside of the paywall. I'm going to put ads in the one that goes outside the paywall, right? And then by the way, I have a merchandise section in the email and therefore you can buy merchandise from me. And oh, I'm coming out with this product in partnership with a company. And it's like all this stuff. And what it boils down to, and I think it's so interesting about the conversation right now is everyone's looking at these newsletter writers as writers. And I'm saying, no, the creators are just the new small business. Yeah. And, and so it's like, if you're an entrepreneur, again, you can have a small business or a big business, right? Some people are perfectly happy. They work from nine to five every day. They run a, you know, let's say a corner store um, and they go to work, they do their job. They have no aspiration whatsoever to go and get a second, third, fifth location. That's fine, right? They provide for their family and they're happy. Sounds awesome so life. Nice. Yeah, awesome life. <laughs> But if you're the person who's like, I want to have a national chain, right? Different type of person, usually different type of body of work. And so I think the same thing with this newsletter stuff is just like, it is entrepreneurship. It may not feel like that because it's so easy to get started. And the production of the product is writing. So it's like anyone can do it, whether you're a good writer or not. But going back to like, it's entrepreneurship. And so all the same principles apply. Um, all the kind of variation or spectrum of ambition applies. Um, and I think when people kind of start thinking of it less about like, you know, I talked earlier about like the TikTok influencer. Can we talk about them as entrepreneurs? Well, same thing here is like, rather than talk about it as a newsletter writer, what if we start talking about it as entrepreneurs, right? Then all of a sudden it puts it in a different light. It starts to open up the possibility. And I think that like mental expansion of um, what could happen uh, becomes really, really interesting for, uh, for the people who are in those roles. Yeah. And I love the fact that you mentioned that the first battle is basically deciding what you want. If your ambition is just to do a little bit of writing every day and maybe make a little bit of money then just do that and just be happy with that. But, uh, but I, I think what you're saying, which I really relate to is that there's a world of possibilities out there. And uh, I think the trap that a lot of people fall into is just the idea of comparison. I thought it was really important what you said, where like my first day might look very similar to your first day and comparing what you're doing now to people that have been doing it two or three years is just like a really great way to get down on yourself. And, uh, and I think that's an important message as well. Great. All right, man. Well, wrapping this up, one more quick question for you. With everything that you have going on, for my curiosity, I want to know what is the stuff that's boiling right now in the back of your brain saying like this newsletter, my personal podcast, this new podcast, your fund, your, your digital investment group. Like, is this all coming to some kind of head five to 10 years down the lane? Like, what are you working on, man? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's the short answer. Um, I, I don't have a master plan. Um, you know, I got a whole bunch of ideas about all the different ways that it could go, but, uh, I, I try to really optimize for optionality, um, because it's kind of the world changes so fast, right? The market changes so fast. Uh, my, my personal desires change so fast, right? You know, I, last year I wasn't married. I'm married now, right? Like just simple things like that, that, that can, uh, really kind of change your priorities and, and, uh, um, things like that. Uh, you don't want to get locked in like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Right. Or this is kind of the master plan. And so for me, what I'm ultimately optimizing for, um, is happiness. And that happiness is usually attached to optionality. Do I want to do this today? No. Okay. I'm not going to do it. Right. Um, and, and so I think that that's kind of my guiding principle, uh, that scares the hell out of some people. Like some people really want to have the concrete plan. I wrote it down in a notebook and I look at it every day. 
it's just never been me. And so I think it's just kind of just do what's authentically um, you, right? And, and you'll tend to uh, be in a pretty good spot. Amazing, brother. Great advice. Great way to wrap this up. Okay, let's do the traditional end of podcast. Where can we find you? It's, <laughs> it's, it's pop pomp.substack.com. Um, yeah. Uh, so easy URL is just pompletter.com. It, it go, takes you to pomp.substack.com. Um, and then uh, you just find me on Twitter at apompliano and uh, pretty much uh, tweet everything from there. So uh, should be uh, should be good. Amazing. All of that will be linked on the show notes of the podcast itself and also the show notes of the blog. Uh, Anthony, I really appreciate your time, man. It was, a, it was a pleasure speaking to you. Like I said before, I'm a big fan of your work. Best of luck with everything you got going on and uh, let's keep in touch. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes. Please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. Feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.